Captain Army Chaplain. My soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today, on Palm Sunday, we're going to look at the ass that Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem. There might even be two of them. I'm glad you're here. Matthew's Gospel is the one we're reading today. There's a three-year cycle of the Gospels, and all three have this event of the triumphal entry, all three of the synoptics for these three years. John also does. John's the only one who says there's palms, hence the name Palm Sunday. Branches, leafy branches, green branches. The tradition of having these palms that people make into crosses relatively recent. In fact, the technical classification of that plant that you're holding usually on a Palm Sunday to make that sort of folded cross is a grass. Grass, not a not a palm from any palm tree. Palm trees grow in hot places, so there would have been palm trees in Jerusalem on that day as there are still today. But Places like England, Germany, most of North America, lots of North America, unless they have an In-N-Out burger, don't have palm trees growing naturally. So Palm Sunday already is off to a weird start with its name. Jesus sends two disciples who are unnamed, go into the village, Bethphage, and you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, just say this, the Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. How many donkeys were there in the triumphal entry? Most uh, videos, movies, artistic depictions have one donkey of the triumphal entry. Kind of makes sense. You can only ride one donkey at a time. Or can you? Is Jesus doing some sort of trick ride here? with A foot on each of the donkey's backs, pulling at the reins as they gallop into the city of Jerusalem. He could walk on water. Why couldn't he do this? Or maybe Jesus is planking across them. Imagine that for a second. Maybe Jesus is sitting on them like on a really wide saddle. Donkeys are not that big. And if you kind of wrap the cloaks properly, you might have a pretty wide saddle. And these donkeys do stick together. One is the mother donkey and the other is the baby donkey, the colt. Donkeys have a lot of different names. The name ass, jackass for the male donkey comes from the Latin asinus, asinus, where we get the word asinine from, acting like a donkey, loud, stubborn, not very smart. Donkeys have different hooves than horses, I've been told. They're slightly softer 
or more uh, they have more ability to grip on difficult terrain so they're often used as pack animals instead of horses they're also small and sturdy they're used by poor people around the world to for all sorts of labor and they live very short lives in those environments in good conditions they can live up to 40 plus years but mostly they live about 10 to 15 they're also used in traditional chinese medicine um, and most of the donkeys living today from what i've read or a big chunk of them live in china for this purpose so they're they've gotten around this animal that emerged from the African steppes and plains was domesticated around the time other farm animals were domesticated and they've been with us ever since you'll find them at petting zoos one of these years I'm going to have one at church we haven't quite gotten up to that level of renting the donkey for the Palm Sunday service mainly because who would ride on it one of the kids hopefully not me. I'm not Jesus. And it is this that this meaning that I get from this text that ultimately the donkey is a vehicle for Jesus. This donkey carries Jesus. The two donkeys comes from what Matthew says is the prophecy of Zechariah, this Old Testament prophet who says, Look, your king is coming, or behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. Matthew is doing a couple different things here. As I mentioned earlier, does Matthew think that there were two donkeys? Possibly. Or did he get something wrong? This is often cited as a big gotcha text by pundits, skeptics, people who don't believe the New Testament is reliable, a reliable source of historical information about Jesus. You can see why if Mark has one donkey and Luke does and John, Matthew has two, that's a pretty clear contradiction, even though, you know, theoretically you can only ride one at a time. And the other texts don't say that Jesus um, only brought one and one only donkey and there were no other donkeys around. There's donkeys everywhere around. But Matthew's insistence on the two donkeys comes from this very clear prophecy about the king coming into Jerusalem. The daughter of Zion should behold and look. And he is coming in a humble way. The donkey symbolizes this humility for Zechariah. In wartime, kings would ride a war horse. Riding a donkey was a sign of peacetime. Um, in all politics, whether kingly, monarchical, or um, there is this tension between appearing, you want to appear, appear so powerful and high and mighty that people reverence you, and you also want to appear somewhat down to earth that people don't dismiss you as not being real. And there's this kind of tension that kings would play with in their processions. They would ride donkeys to show that they were not a war leader, that we were not in wartime at this point. At the Washington National Cathedral on the pilgrim steps, the steps that pilgrims should take into the cathedral on the side of the building, there are three horses depicted, three beasts, for three uh, animals with four hooves that are used to transport humans from time immemorial. One is George Washington, 
He is outside the cathedral, across the little road there on the sidewalk or in his own special area. He's astride his famous war horse, which I forget the name um, there. And we forget the name of these donkeys as well. But there he is, George Washington, at the height of his power as general of the Continental Army with his sword and his horse, a symbol of military prowess up in, and even into the modern era, still commanders will sometimes ride on horses. The 1st Cav Division in Texas does this quite often. And then you have on the side of the pilgrim steps, on each side, one side and the other, is the donkey that carries Mary when they fly to Egypt. And then the other donkey is the donkey of the triumphal entry, which Jesus is riding. Three different symbols of power. What kind of power does Jesus bring to Jerusalem? It is this power of peace. He is coming humble and mounted on a donkey. Not even a donkey, but the colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, in the, in the Old Testament, the prophets and the psalmists and other people who write poetry employ this one technique of poetry. There aren't really any others. They didn't rhyme their words. There's not a lot of other poetic techniques happening uh, that, are quite, that are clear to a modern reader or even to someone who's an expert. The one consistent poetic form of the Old Testament is parallelism. You say a line one way, and then you say it another way. And you have a thought that you say one way, and you say it the same thought, just a little slightly different. Um, you can see this all through the Psalms. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Um, the, I can I, Boy, all the, the ones that pop off the top of my head. But read a psalm, open this Bible to any psalm, and read that first line, and then read the second line, you'll usually see it's saying the, pretty much the same thing, just in a little different, with different words. And this is the, po- the poetics of the psalm. And here in Zechariah, we see it too. The first line is, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey. And then the second is, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Um, you could take out the and there, and just say, he is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a foal, a colt, a foal of a donkey, as if those are one and the same animal. Um, and that would work. But Matthew doubles down, literally, on the fact that there's two. Why is he doing this? One, he's dumb. That's one option. He's just kind of dumb. He doesn't really think about, think it through. He doesn't know that you can only ride one at a time. Um, and then he's reading the Old Testament literally like a chump, like he doesn't, has never read the Bible before. And oh, it says two donkeys. Okay. I find this to be so ridiculous. Although this is the one that a lot of people sort of pivot to that Matthew's kind of dumb and he doesn't really know how to read the Bible. Well, he's the one telling us about this Zechariah passage. Matthew will often do this. He'll add numbers to things. I believe that he adds the 30 pieces of silver to the detail of Judas's betrayal money. Um, Other details that Matthew does, some parallels or doubles that he throws in there to make a point. 
add a little extra detail. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. Just means he adds those extra details. Um, but I don't think the good answer is that he's not very smart. I think he's very smart. Um, the other option is that he does think that Jesus is riding on two donkeys. As I said earlier, they've kind of either like a Pony Express situation. He hops off one, hops on the other. It's a long ride. You don't want the donkey to be tired for the final push. Or perhaps he's riding on both of them in sort of a double majestic thing. People did all sorts of things when they only had certain options. In the the time of Jesus, there are no other options than horses, donkeys, oxen, cows, you know, some certain so many number of things you can ride, and people rode them probably a lot of different ways that we may not need to now. Him riding on two of them, I don't know. It's within the realm of physical probability. But again, that may not be the best option. Um, other scholars have pointed out that uh, rabbinical literature, in other words, uh, Jewish writers at the time of Matthew, as Matthew is a Jewish writer, and a little bit earlier in the Qumran sections, love these kinds of double parallels where a sort of overly literal reading of a prophecy is interpreted overly literally to point to the truth of the prophecy, that, um, that you can trust what God has promised and that it is in teasing out this sort of absurdity of this double whammy, double donkey, um, that, that you will then see the miraculous at work in the story. We can spend a lot of time on this, and maybe we should, and that's kind of what uh, many biblical scholars are saying Matthew wants us to do, to spend a little time on it, to puzzle it out, to think about it, to meditate on it, Meditate on these two donkeys that are fulfilling this prophecy and the absurdity of it. And how could this be? And come up with ways to imagine because the biblical authors want us to be in the story. Matthew wants us to be there. That's why he's telling us this. That's why he's pointing to the prominent role that these donkeys play. And I think it's pointing out the prominent role that we we donkeys play in the story, that we are part of the story. We are here to, we are here to carry Jesus. We are not named always. We are not the center of the story. Jesus is the center of the story. And everything we do is to point to him because he is the only one who can save us. This very large crowd spreads cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! Hosanna! This word means save us, save us, save us, save us, and that is the cry of all humanity between then and now and even before Save us, save us, save us. This can't go on forever. We can't take it anymore. I've had enough. I quit. I'm done. And that is our cry to this Jesus who rides on these donkeys. And can he do it? He's the blessed one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is at the moment of Holy Communion, we say and sing these words. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. It is our cry too. We hope he comes in communion. We hope he's there. We cry out to him to be there. And maybe we should make this a bigger part of our practice to put that same feeling in it that people felt on this first day of the triumphal entry. Because we need him to come. We need him to come here. The world as it is, is unsustainable. In some ways, and sometimes unlivable. It is too much to bear. I don't know at what age you felt that feeling that things might be like this forever. Some things just might not get better. Those who are facing chronic illnesses and difficult diagnoses and other troubling maladies and diseases of the body, mind, and soul know this all too well. Some things just don't get better with time. And those in financial distress know this too, that poverty kind of works that way too. Doesn't ever get really better. And all the troubles of human life, the human violence that we are now debating whether it is appropriate to own weapons that can tear through human flesh at such a rapid rate that they become in themselves a weapon of mass destruction? And are these things that we need in our society? Or should we try to do something to restrict them? This is the debate. We need Jesus to save us. Save us, we cry. Save us. And then there's this other people saying, who is this? And they say, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And that's it. It's the part we read in Matthew. Whole cities in turmoil. What is happening? Who is this? What does Jesus mean? Jesus looms large in our imagination and consciousness for one simple fact, not necessarily because of this day, but because of what happens a week from now. As he hangs between earth and sky, as he is pinned to that wood of the cross for love. And there are many meanings to the crucifixion. At its worst and most cynical, it is that Rome kills another revolutionary. And we can see, certainly read Jesus that way to many, in many ways. And yet it is more than that. That somehow the power and grip that sin and death and hell has on the world is broken through that ultimate brokenness on the cross. That in the power of weakness, God triumphs over evil and sets us free. That the stuff that clings to us, the things that weigh us down, the things we regret, the things that paralyze us with shame and reproach are nailed to that cross and we bear them no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. That is, this is what is happening on the cross. That all that is being absorbed into his body and he takes it for us. And then he rises from the dead and that new life that we have in him, that we live in every single day, comes to us in the Eucharist. It comes to us through the love of other people. It comes to us through 
all the beauty in the world around us. And that love comes to us to say that when you get knocked down, you get back up again. When you fall, then you can rise. When you die, you can come back to life. And that is the promise of Jesus in this world where we cry out, save us, save us, save us. And we carry Jesus. We carry that story. And we carry the stories of all who have those same stories of death and resurrection, knowing that that is our story as well, that we will die and then we will rise. I hope you can go on this journey through this Holy Week with us, with Jesus, and with these donkeys. Amen. Almighty and ever-living God, in your tender love for the human race, you sent your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, to take upon him our nature and to suffer death upon the cross, giving us the example of his great humility. Mercifully grant that we may walk, mercifully grant that we may walk in the way of his suffering and also share in his resurrection through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.